Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. My name is Katrina Stanton. I'm Inyash Brodsky. And I'm Stephen Zuper. And Inyash, I think you're going to introduce our topic for today. Yes. We were talking last episode about gender and how it isn't necessarily a completely binary thing. And that got me thinking about the concept of concept networks. And I thought that would be fun to talk about today because it helped to clear up my thinking on a lot of things when I read through that initial sequence. And I thought it would be fun to share with other people. Sure. Can you define what a concept network is? Actually, I don't know if I can give whatever the official definition is, but I can give what uh, how I understand it to be. When people think of a particular thing uh, that they have a label for, like a, a bird, for example, there are a lot of attributes that go into that thing. Like small, has feathers, can fly, makes tweedy noises, has a beak, stuff like that. And all, when all those different things are um, recognized, that is when we pull the concept of a bird from that. So how about an ostrich? An ostrich is a good example of a fringe case where it sets off some of our um, nodes. nodes. Yeah, is the term that I'm going to use because uh, it was the term used in the post that I read. Uh, it sets up some of our nodes, but not all of them. And so then we have to start trying to ask things like, well, is this a bird? Is it not a bird? What are we really asking when we ask if something is a bird? The example given in the original post by Eliezer was uh, these blue eggs and these red cubes, which he called blegs and rubes, just as you know, a mashup of the two words, and trying to decide if something was a, a bleg or a rube, and there were various fringe cases that he introduced until it was made clear that the reason they were being sorted was because inside the blegs was one compound. I'm going to go with uranium here because I'm working off memory. I think it was vanadium and palladium. Mm -hmm. or, yeah, it was... Those, those, something close to those yeah, words. Those are too similar to each other. That's okay. I'm, I'm going to go with uranium and gold because they sound very different. <laughs> Works and everyone out. knows what both of them are. I have no idea what vanadium and palladium are. That's fine. Do you, do you know what that is? They're heavy elements. Okay. So, see, like, uranium, I think nuclear bombs, and gold, I think shiny things. So they already have strong concepts in my head. It doesn't really matter what's in them. The point is that, yeah, there was, yeah, yeah, that yeah, there was an important distinction that was being made. Right. So when someone was asking for the purposes of the job, is this a bleg or a rube, what they were asking is, what are the compounds I can extract from it? So the, the ultimate question was, what is within it? Um, but that that is not necessarily always what we want to know. Like, when we ask, is an ostrich a bird... We're not using the ostrich for anything. We just kind of have this label of a bird and we want to know whether the ostrich fits in it or not. And So the question is, are you asking if the ostrich is can be used for feathers or something? Or are you asking about the evolutionary, does it have a sh recent shared evolutionary history with other things that would be classified as birds? Yeah, th those are the various things you can ask. Uh, but And those are better questions than is it a bird? Those are much better questions. Uh, but the point was made that in a, a true network, the only nodes are things that actually exist in the physical world and you can nail them down. Like, does it have feathers? Uh, what is its evolutionary history? Does it lay eggs? Things like that. But you can answer all those questions for something like an ostrich or for a fringe case and still, at the end, be confused as to, so is it a bird? And uh, that points to the fact that there is a node in our head, which does not correspond to anything in reality, labeled bird. And that can be a bit of a problem. And the most classic example of this, because uh, 
it's something that I have seen blood spilled over is whether Pluto is a planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we can we can determine what the mass of Pluto is, how spherical it is, whether it has swept out its orbit, how far from the sun it is. All those things can be nailed down and answered exactly with scientific precision. But then people still debate, but is it a planet? And then the knives come out. Well, I mean, we don't even have to go to a planet. Okay. planetary um, an astral body example for that we can still talk about birds mm-hmm. because a lot of times people will say but is it a dinosaur ah see right? yeah yeah and that is a good question um, because you know birds are descendants of dinosaurs and often people would call them modern day dinosaurs and then that kind of sparks something in people's heads to think about dinosaurs birds and it can be really useful in getting people more interested in evolutionary biology, right? So there's that approach to it. You can misfire that node of dinosaur in their head to get them intrigued. Exactly. Even though, like, yeah, that's an interesting strategy. But it seems like it would, like it would get people interested. Yeah. And I'll bet a lot more people were paying a lot more attention to different kinds of of astral bodies when it came to the Pluto is a planet debate. But there's no actual tag in reality that you can place on the thing itself that says planet or or dinosaur or whatever exactly so you can just you can just measure pluto but it is it is a label it is a tag that you're placing on that not not like it's not like it's distance from the sun or its mass or its uh, sphericalness right there's nothing intrinsic to it there's nothing there's there's no planetness to it there's a bunch of atoms that have you know collected under their own gravity and swept out their orbit or not but there's no planet attribute of the matter that is there there's just protons and electrons in Uh, other words we've identified we have invented these labels to help us sort different things into bins mm -hmm. right yeah um in biology we talk about that all the time how do you are you a lumper or splitter right those are cool terms yeah do you do you like to lump things together or do you like to split things into lots of little tiny bins and where are you on the lumping and splitting um continuum let me back up uh just a step and go with the the network model itself one of the reasons it's possible that uh it it seems that the way humans think is not in terms of just individual attributes that you can nail down in in our psychology it seems there is kind of a core of is it a bird or not is is that a boy or a girl right it's not don't i don't want to know all these various things about genetics and social structures just give me a label and it seems that possibly one of the reasons for that is because it's a lot faster. It works in real time. When you see something in the bushes that is orange with black stripes and furry, it's very important for your brain to go, tiger, run, you know, as opposed to when the actually you use neural networks in, uh, in computers, it takes a while for it to activate all the various um, connections and come to a, a consensus. I guess, for lack of a better term. A conclusion, at least. A where, where it weighs yeah. each each node. Yeah, And yeah. They, they weigh back and forth. And by the time you finish your calculation... Yeah. And, yeah. By the time you finish that in real time, you're, you're yeah. tiger food. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's many ways... There's many reasons that it's important for us to use labels, mm-hmm. right? Um, no matter what your philosophy is coming in on them. Quick communication. It might take a little bit longer if you were going to talk about... One, I mean, Pluto is a label, right, for for that thing mm-hmm. that's super helpful because it's specific to that. But if you're going to be like, well, there's this rock, it's this wide, it is made of these things. Here's where you can find it. That's a yeah. that's a that's it's not tedious. It's tedious if you 
it would be just easier to call it by its name or a planet because it gives somebody an idea. I, I'm not saying that it is a planet, but to give an example, to call something like that a planet helps give people a lot of information about it quickly. Yeah. Yeah, you, you use two syllables and you've conveyed a ton of information about what Pluto is if they never heard of the word Pluto before. Right. Or if you're, if you're trying to explain that it was different than the cartoon dog, right? So like, I've got this thing. It's not the cartoon dog. It's called Pluto. It's the ninth planet from the sun. Conveys, that felt just weird saying because I, I, I can hear Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> in my head yelling at me. Um, <laughs> it's like the 27th dwarf planet. <laughs> but yeah, so that it that conveys a mountain of information to people if they already know what a planet is, right? Mm-hmm. So. And if you're doing, if you're working in science, then you also start out by defining your terms. And once once you do that, if you're working within a definition that everyone likes, I don't think there's anything wrong with with working with terms. It's a time saver for that reason, right? Another good example of a fringe case is like you could say fish are the you know the things that you catch that live in the ocean, and that you need a harpoon or a fishing net or fishing hook to catch and that would include whales whales aren't fish but for all the reasons that you're interested about fish they count as fish mm-hmm. if you're looking to catch and eat one you're not gonna chase it on the savannah with a spear right so depending on what information you're trying to convey and what use you're having you can call it a fish or not and as long as you're not talking with a modern day scientist people aren't going to be upset if you use the word fish right right <laughs> um also you know you might be taking advantage of people's willingness to expand their moral sphere to contain mammals and more closely um, related animals to humans by clarifying that it's a mammal. A whale's a mammal. Whale has a big brain. Whales feed their babies milk. They're just like you. One of the one of the neat things, because you guys were just talking about definitions, right? And that is what a lot of it tends to come down to. People say, okay, well, let's define planet to mean this thing. And uh, then, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson steps up hmm. or whatever. Uh, but the neat thing that I liked from this post that I really got out of it was that it still feels like once you have nailed down all these various terms, it still feels like you want to ask whether something is a planet or not. That's why we go ahead and we make a definition and, and have that, that conversation with each other. But in if something was a network natively, once you've nailed down all the nodes, all the other attributes, there shouldn't be anything left. There shouldn't be a definitional question anymore. And so the the phrase that was coined for this was, this is what an algorithm feels like from the inside. That you have this algorithm to figure out whether, you know, all the attributes of a thing. And it feels like afterwards, once you know all them, it feels like there is still something that hasn't been answered yet. You're still not sure, is it a dinosaur? You know? And the fact that you feel there still needs to be some discussion had as to what the definition is, is what it feels like to have that, uh, to be an algorithm running, running that, running that, um, not synopsis, diagnostic. Diagnostic. I don't think I'm picking up what you're putting down, Inyash. Okay. Because we were just talking about why why we want to know mm-hmm. what the label is why it's useful mm-hmm. why it's useful to you know sometimes put things in categories together mm-hmm. right it can open up new areas of, of thought and study and so we have all those good reasons for it i'm i think that this it's not like weird or magical that we still want to know how to label something after we know its attributes no but i think it's a mistake yeah, right? is there like is there a reason that we really need to define whether a chicken is a dinosaur or not? Um yeah, so if the question 
I guess not, if, not, if the question is is um, is this insect in the same family as this other insect, and we you know is it this kind, mm-hmm. right? Then we can follow through with that information and compare it to others of that kind. Figure out if it does have differences, why it has differences from others in the group, right? And um, and actually get to you know some deep ecological and evolutionary truths that way well okay see so the one that gets me specifically uh the one that i relate to personally is spiders because they're they're not insects right that's correct they're arachnids yeah see fuck that in in my personal opinion Uh, they they are an insect in every single way that matters and i will call them insects forever because how are they not an insect so you're saying well, to run back to an earlier example that whales are fish. They're, they're arthropods, right? Uh, if you say so. They're um, creepy, crawly, little tiny things that I want to smush. Okay. So, yeah, you just define them as creepy, crawly things that you want to smush. Yeah. Um, which I imagine does not extend to all spiders or all insects. Ladybugs? Eh, if it was in my house, I'd smush it. Everyone loves ladybugs. Okay. What's a cuter bug? That's That's my go-to. There are a lot of really cute bugs. What about that plant hopper that I shared for the signaling episode? Uh, that was wonderful. I loved that thing, and I would never smush it. <laughs> so, I think, like, so the, the... But, but just to get to the spider example, um, it's really important to be able to lump spiders into a group together of arachnids, or, I mean, and it, then we're including animals like scorpions and... Um, if you're a scientist other or kinds of animals or... as well because they you know have different they simply have different attributes and some of the more obvious attributes will be they have a different number of body segments mm-hmm. like that's a big deal if you have two versus three body you know parts see in my opinion they're an insect with three body parts insects do have three they're an insect with two body parts <laughs> so I they're think, an insect with two more legs than all other insects they're just a special case of insect i think what this works with is it's like a th- i think it's allegorical or analogous to that the example with whales and fish right for all the all the reasons you care about you've got this big bucket in your brain called bugs mm-hmm. and it includes everything from ladybugs to spiders to scorpions to bees and you know for for my hypothetical fisherman it was like Everything that I need to catch in the ocean is a fish. Mm-hmm. And that might even include that to them, like starfish and octopus, right? Whatever they can yeah. eat out of the ocean. If they have, it's like the word doesn't really matter. And the right. word, the, what, what the word is, isn't like a factual question unless you're going to just run to the dictionary mm-hmm. and say, well, the dictionary says you're wrong. Right. So, but like, if you don't, sh- yeah, if, if you don't if, need to know, you don't need to know, I guess, the right. difference between spiders. You, you don't need to know the difference between arachnids and insects. And you don't need to know about arthropods and crustaceans. All of those things are are not need to know for you because I guess you're not gonna you don't care about having general knowledge and oh Zing. sick burn <laughs> that's like with Damn. in a uh, in Sherlock he didn't know how many planets were in the solar system right because he's like well how's that can help me solve mysteries yeah. or solve cases and it's like it's it's the solar system dude it's general knowledge <laughs> yeah no I just I have a bucket in my brain for bugs and, and spiders are in it and you don't look in it because it's full of spiders yeah exactly I, I understand yeah. That said, I, I I know that spiders are different than, than ladybugs. Okay. But I, I see where you're coming from. So, like, the standard thing, the reason I think why it's a mistake to ask after he's he's got this running definition of what matters to him about it, there's there's the standard question, like, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around here, it doesn't make a noise. And Inyash says yes, because 
Well, you just say yes. Katrina says no. I'm feeling this in for both of you because... I, I understand. I understand where you're coming from, Inesh. Yeah. Um, when I worked at the aquarium, I remember one of the things that we would we would tell people was, this bird is, although it looks like an owl, it's not in any way related to owls, which was a thoroughly simplistic thing to say that, that I disagreed with. But um, the people who... It, it wasn't useful to anybody we told that. It's like, oh, it's a bird with big eyes. You it's know? just random trivia. Like there's those it's, moths. It's random trivia. Yeah. It's so not... Because if we were really going to get into it, and there's no way anyone would care, mm-hmm. I'd say, well, this bird is actually really closely related to night jars, and the night jars are more closely related to owls than, you know... And that nobody cares about that unless they're a biologist. Right. <laughs> Another good example might be like those moths that look really like butterflies or vice versa. For the outsider who's not a biologist, they're just like, well, they're both basically like what I consider butterflies or moths, whatever it looks the most like. So you follow so, Neil deGrasse Tyson a bunch, right? A bit. I, I, I want to ask, does he? is there a useful reason for him to have, for the astrophysicist to have defined Pluto to not be part of the, the planets? It didn't weigh heavily enough on the nodes that all the other planets fit into. Okay. So like it's too small. Its orbits uh, at an angle that's that's atypical. It's not as far removed from other small bodies as other parts of or as other major celestial objects. All all reasons that they just felt like, well, if planets can talk about all these things and it's going to include Pluto too, then planet means a lot more than we're trying to mean. So we're gonna just shove that out, and that turned out to be when he started getting hate mail. So <laughs> okay. So that I mean that to me feels like the the point that there's no reason to fight over this definition really we have all the important information we need and yet people will still fight over the definition anyway yeah and people because that's important interestingly enough to these are people who i don't think really would have cared like a week before mm-hmm. but then like pluto suddenly became super popular and i think i did hear somewhere that pluto was like the rated them like the most popular most favorable planet in the solar system by people what? and i'm like who has you guys a realize planet mine's earth like I mean, right. so like, and, and I'm amazed I, that wasn't the most Earth favorite. Planet, I'm amazed that wasn't like 95 percent of people. Yeah, but uh, I think maybe like I forget what the I don't know if I could take this up. It was something I read five or ten years ago. It was but it was something where people really liked Pluto for some reason, and I have no idea why. I think it's because it reminds them of the cartoon Doc. Hmm. That reminds me. That doesn't actually remind me. But <laughs> to go back to why we kind of came up with this concept, or Inyash came up with this concept in the first place, is I was talking about gender in the last episode. I guess the question to ask is, what's your true question, right? So I was talking about, oh, maybe there's a lot of overlap in these in these nodes, I guess, between the concept of man and woman or boy and girl, and, and that makes it less useful. I know somebody who said to me, well, what about mixed martial arts fighting mm-hmm. in which someone who, in which somebody who takes medicines to... Um, to change their body or identifies as female still has bone and muscle densities associated with being male or something. Right. Somehow this comes up every time I hear about. Uh, I guess that's. I guess that's the argument that they use. That's like well, the there, go-to. There is, there is a fair bit of structural difference. Oh yeah. When yeah, that that happens during puberty and growing up. Well, what's it's your, such, so it's such a fringe is, case. What's your What's your real question? What's I, the real question? When it's well, not if person, someone a man or a woman if they're competing in martial arts it's what's their bone and muscle density I think so does it fall within this range or within that range and I mean the really weird part about it is that we already have weight categories and we want things to be 
sort of fair in a fight, so it's just not a ridiculous blowout. But on the other hand, people who do extremely well in their chosen sport are genetic freaks anyway. The uh, Michael Phelps has like what a really long, uh, really long torso and arms and short <laughs> I legs. I think right? that I think that anybody can do really well in their chosen sport. We yeah, can't well, all do as well as Michael Phelps. No, there, there there is a lot of that actually comes down to the physical biology when it comes to when you're the top, you know, two or three people out of seven billion humans. It makes a huge amount of difference, and there's the most fascinating article about why uh, Olympic records keep getting broken more and more every year. It's not like the human race has been evolving over the past 50 years, but it's mainly selection effects. I mean, part of it is that training has gone up. It was, it was a really cool talk. And part of it is just different materials used both in um, the, the tracks that are run on and the, the shoes. But part of it also is that your typical runner nowadays has uh, longer legs that are thinner in the upper part and uh, widen more towards the ankles, which what didn't used to be the case, but it helps it with the running. didn't used to be the case because those people weren't running necessarily? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so it starts to get weird because the people in the MMA things are generally kind of on the fringes of human bodies anyway, right? It's not like your, your average Joe is going to walk into an MMA and be really good at it, even with training. There is a lot of it that comes down to, well, I got some good genes here. I managed to get particularly dense bones in my body. I yeah, think that... so why don't they have classes based on weight and bone density? Right. That That is a good question. Instead of weight Ma- and gender yeah. and, you know, gender identity. It's interesting. I heard this lengthy discussion I heard about this topic was with um, Joe Rogan. I forget who he was talking to, but he's got his feet in a lot of things. He was a TV host. He was an MMA fighter. Uh, he's a stand-up comedian. He does a podcast called The Joe Rogan Experience, and he's not the and self-admittedly he's he's aware that he's not a an expert on stuff, but he asks questions, and that that's his whole thing. So I'm just asking questions. He made Brian Dunning's list of the top ten uh, celebrities spreading pseudoscience. Hmm. Good thing that you've been advertising him so so <laughs> I, carefully I want, for I, the past however many minutes. The, the past 15 seconds. And I put yeah. in this, that disclaimer on purpose so that people would be aware that if you're going to go look at Joe Rogan's stuff, be aware that he's not universally agreed upon to be an expert on stuff. But at least he, he's uh, fair about it. Anyway, he, he made the case that it was it was like putting in uh, somebody of a of a different weight class, even though like they had similar weight, that there just happens to be different deviations of bone mass. And whether, that, whether or not that's true is an important question. And that's a factual question. I think what it comes down to as far as like tying more back to whether or not it fires the correct note or not is it's pointless once you've talked about all the things that you care about is to ask well is that person really a boy or really a girl that's where there's this intuition that people feel like there's an unanswered question there but there really isn't if you've answered all the all the better questions that isn't just a label question and so as far as whether or not there's there's a difference that's something that people should look at and i guess maybe why they wouldn't separate it like separate fighters in different leagues based off of bone mass maybe because they're if it turns out that there actually is a standard deviation that's way different between males and females, then that would be why they don't bother, right? But if that's not true, they should measure for that and they should they should correct for that in fights, right? The the boy or girl question is kind of interesting too because as uh, there was a follow-up by uh, Scott Alexander, who was writing as Yvain at the time, which touched on the fact that after Eliezer did this whole thing about talking about how we don't need the central node that doesn't really exist, it's like, yeah, but actually that central node is used by a lot of things. It has a lot of moral connotations. And like the boy and girl example is a pretty good example because there's still large sections of our society that simply wants to know whether someone is a boy or a girl because they want to know how to treat them. 
and there can be a lot of things that that affect you know the 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 way someone is treated because of a label i think the one he was talking about is diseases specifically Mm -hmm. was whether obesity is a disease or a personal failing if it's a personal failing then you should tell the person ah stop being so lazy and eating so much and if it's a disease you're like oh you have my sympathy let's see if we can find some way to to work about this and he's like people attach a lot of moral significance to these nodes what was the name of that essay Disease thinking, I think. So that was on Slate Star Codex. No, yeah. no, that was actually on Less Wrong. Disease thinking? I saw it on Slate Star Codex also. Oh, was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, he wrote a similar point on Less Wrong under the handle Yvain, like you said. Yeah. And I think that was that was a different post from a prior time. But right. I want to link to all these because they're all really interesting. And there's no way to, there's no good way to summarize Scott Alexander. He writes really long posts, but they're not long-winded. So they don't they don't do well for for paraphrasing. I think that you know, like we said, planet and spider and bug have important connotations. Boy and girl have important connotations. Um, there was a great I'm gonna plug Skeptoid twice in one episode. Skeptoid episode a few weeks ago talking about the concept of race in humans. How do boy and girl have important connotations? I was gonna get to that. Okay. The, but the the, the the race thing is is a good analogy. Asking someone's race is is not scientifically useful in a technical sense. And there's all kinds of um, obvious bad reasons why people have bad affiliations or something or bad connotations with certain races if you're talking to a racist. But it can be a great shorthand for like, are you going to be susceptible to uh, sickle cell anemia? Or, you know, do you have... So there are uh, different things that are popular, uh, like especially genetic issues in certain groups, like intolerance to alcohol in some Asian demographics. So those, those are great little shorthands only because you don't have the time to get like a full genotypical divulgence into their their history right Mm -hmm. or into their into their ancestry so like if you want a a very quick rule of thumb if you don't have time to run their genes that can give you some information so i think that people would argue that there are similar things between boy and girl um, i think it's much more of a social thing i think both the race and the boy girl thing is people put a lot of importance on that because it tells them how to treat those people and that's sort of a problem but it's not it's not a thing that's going to be easily fixed I agree. And I agree that there's probably less obvious, useful distinctions between boy and girl than someone might argue, like in the case of like quick medical diagnostics for for a race, like a, a race checkbox in your medical I intake mean, sheet. It, at least there are at least as many important ones, because you could say that people under category girl usually have a uterus. Not so, always, but usually have a uterus. And I bet you that they have uteruses at a higher rate than people from Africa have resistance to sickle cell, you know, exactly. No, or to- have sickle cell anemia. I totally agree. So, and if you go in with stomach pain, they're not going to check to see if your uh, fallopian tubes are, I don't know, clogged isn't the right word. I, I, knew, <laughs> I knew somebody in their teens who, ha- who had an ovarian cyst yeah. in her fallopian tube and it was causing discomfort. Right. And so like, they're not going to check that for if you went in with, with, with abdominal pain. Did right? you just say that they had an ovarian cyst in their fallopian tube? It apparently was in root. There was, oh. some, there was some issue. That was what they called it. And maybe I'm misremembering because I was 13. Whatever, whatever it was, they had a cyst. Maybe not mm-hmm. an ovarian cyst. Okay. Or maybe it moved. There was some complicated thing. Okay. Point is, um, but yeah, all of these, all of these can be very useful shorthand. But uh, what about at the point that it starts hurting people? Right. I totally agree. One of the general lessons to take away from this intuition that people have to, you know, ask: Is it really this? Is it? Did it really make a sound? Is a fish really a? Or is a whale really a fish? Um, those aren't really good questions. You you have good questions that satisfy whatever your criteria are, and then that that 
hanging node that isn't really attached to anything in the world isn't really a good question. So like, you know, whatever information it is that you're after, there's nothing left to ask, well, is that person really a boy or is that person really a girl? That to me doesn't seem like, that seems like as fringe or as pointless of a question as is an ostrich a dinosaur, right? In, or is Pluto a planet, right? Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Is an ostrich dinosaur is a way cooler question. Then is Pluto a planet? No. And then oh, is, no. is that person a boy or a girl? Okay. In my humble opinion. Yeah. It depends on who you ask because there are cultures that have very strong norms about how you're supposed to treat boys and how you're supposed to treat girls and they're very different. And if you screw that up, you could be subject to social censure. Well, I think that we might be one of those cultures. I Well, yes. I, I think there's sub, subcultures in the U.S. where that is more important and subcultures where it is far less. And there's probably other parts of the world where it's a much bigger deal. Right. Where if you wanted to challenge your, quote, assigned gender, people would not just disagree with you, but they, they're, I mean... I, Violently disagree with yeah. you? Yeah. So, um, which, I mean, happens. You get hate crimes in the U.S., but, like, you don't get, like publicly stoned to death right often in slate star codex um in the disease thinking article that you were talking about one of the examples that they gave of um people holding on to definitions for morality reasons reminded me of people's response to making lab-grown meat i've never understood that can you so what is the response to lab-grown meat that people dislike it I think I think most people like it, but you will always see if somebody posts about lab-grown meat and the, the big organizations are definitely for it and hugely in support of it because the goal is is to lower animal suffering, period. Right. But you'll always see people say, just stop eating meat. Like, what's wrong with you? You can stop eating meat. Why can't people just not eat meat? And it's because, well, the idea is because what they're doing is virtue signaling. Right. Right. That they put all this effort into doing a thing that it was a good thing. And now people are getting the good effects without having to put in all the effort. So yeah. it's like cheating. Their argument is just be good. Just be good. And then we wouldn't even have this problem. I'm not going to support lab-grown meat because... By the way, I support lab-grown meat. Totally. Mm-hmm. No, the people I've run into that don't support lab-grown meat are like, ooh, that's gross. It's Franken-meat. And, and those people like just... I cannot even fathom. Like, is your meat more tasty because it contains suffering what what is the what is the oh so you're talking to meat eaters yes yes i'm coming from it from the other person the other side where uh i, I had someone share a link to this lab grown meat and was like i would never eat this well maybe they're just afraid of change I... status quo bias yeah that seems like a weird motivation though because like you said like so does the suffering add any extra zing or like is it like less weird to think that you're hacking off part of an animal and putting it in your mouth or like than it is to like think that this was never part of an animal in the first place yeah i don't know both seem kind of equally weird to me it just it seems like evil for the sake of evil just to say i want my meat to come from an animal carcass yeah that's a weird thing i think there's an obvious error in that in that thinking i saw uh, a star trek tng episode recently where they were telling people from another planet that they don't they don't enslave animals anymore for their meat it's made through their transporters replicators replicators can you replicate full people in star trek uh well <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to derail us but that sounds like a really important question yes uh, but they're evil what <laughs> seriously yes, seriously that's hilarious not always evil <laughs> sometimes they're evil uh yes you can basically replicate full people that's how the transporter works it, it breaks you down atom by atom destructively right. scanning you and then sends the information off and then recreates you i thought the replicator info. was a specifically different machine didn't we already talk about this not Did the replicator 
the, the, the replicator that's right we did talk about this once we, did talk we talked about, about the transporter but then i actually saw the episode more recently the replicator works on the same principle it's slightly simpler it just makes two of them or it, just, it doesn't break you down it just copies you uh it uh the replicator actually just makes things out of pure energy okay which is a cool thing i just think that like it sounds really obvious like now you've got a fleet of all the, the universe's best ship captains oh and all the universe's best gunners and all the universe's best philosophers it's one of the frustrating things about star trek that they do not explore the implications of this technology womp yeah every I'm time sorry they to... do it they accidentally make an evil twin <laughs> i'm so sorry maybe to... that's the problem you don't want a fleet full of evil captains i'm sorry to derail you i i couldn't resist jumping on that when i when i heard about it though mm. i just came out as not having seen star trek i don't know if i talked about that last time we talked about star trek probably all right it's okay so we, we forgive you for this moral failing that that's okay. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> my my Stephen Node still has a goodness next to it. So there's different reasons that somebody might be overly attached to a label, right? It's. I mean, some of them could be good reasons. The the ones that um I think was it addiction. He he brought up. Sorry, he Scott in the post I believe brought up addiction, and he said that in the absence of biological remedies like drugs that can uh, break the addiction and cure it having scorn and social um what's the word for negative social pressure consequences i i guess but you know calling someone a loser who doesn't do anything in general makes people's lives worse it's psycho it's a psychological attack it's punishment yes and when there is no other way to stop people from getting on drugs then the amount of uh pain that uh punishment causes is worth the the less drug addiction that you have but once we have a greater level of technology where we can give someone a drug to break their addiction there are people who would say that's cheating it is a moral failing that they were addicted in the first place and they should break the addiction the true way you know there are drugs to help people get off of heroin yeah and painkillers right the, the, those are the drugs you're talking about and that's um that's one of the reasons why kratom i believe is is one of those drugs it's kind of a painkiller drug herb and that's one of the reasons why the department of drug enforcement or why the dea hasn't um hasn't listed it oh hasn't hmm. scheduled it yet okay they put it off um possibly for good because people are actually using it to successfully apparently to successfully um get off of addictions harmful addictions that is fantastic but but there are people who say that that is a moral failing to to use drugs when you mm. should when you should be shaming people into not taking drugs, which is probably one of the arguments of the other side. Right. He mentioned specifically that he's talked to doctors in his real life that did not want to recommend gastric bypass surgery for people, even though they were you know good candidates for it, because they were like, well, am I encouraging social laxness? That these people should just watch their what they're eating and, and exercise like good virtuous humans do. Maybe they're afraid of weakening the signal in general. Right. I think, well, that's that's kind of the point, that you can weaken the signal completely if you can take care of this problem another way. And it, then it falls down to, well, are we doing something wrong? Are we weakening society? Are we doing some, is there some failing by having a medical intervention to fix these problems? Yeah. Uh, and it's hard for me to see. Uh, he, he does lay out like the, the moral theories behind it. You know, the, the deontologist says well no it's all about character and stuff and he's like yeah i'm the utilitarian or i'm the consequentialist right so i just care about well this person's not going to die at 35 of a heart attack if i give them gastric bypass mm -hmm. or a lap band or something you know whatever it takes to keep them healthy that, but that's not what everybody I care about. is a candidate for a lap band yeah. right well the, for example so if you're weakening the signal that um helps people who aren't candidates for that 
oh, will yeah. that in- increase mortality overall? Not not that I'm arguing that. Yeah, but, but that is yeah. an argument that can be made. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I don't have a great response to that other well, than I guess to like say these are hard questions. Data on that. Right, yeah. yeah. So so it is the kind of thing that like a doctor would have to actually analyze and not me and that a, a good utilitarian would take into account. And and the fact is shaming people um and scorning them does cause harm too. It causes psychological harm. So then you got to ask is that harm worth the benefits that some people will not gain weight because they will feel so shamed that they will, you know, not eat even though they're hungry. Hmm. when when there are other possible alternatives that don't include quite so much psychological pain. Yep, leave that to the professionals. <laughs> yeah. Katrina, <laughs> I'm really sorry I interrupted when you were talking about Star Trek. I jumped on the, re- the replicator and I couldn't not see if that was something that they talked about and I interrupted. I was just happy that somebody else envisioned a beautiful future, you know, back in, when was TNG? The 90s? TNG was uh, started in 88. 80- Eight, I think. So late 80s and early 90s. Okay. Yeah, it was seven so seasons. That long ago, somebody was envisioning a beautiful future where there is only fake meat and um, and that humans no longer, I liked how they said, enslaved animals. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a, a good show. And it's, it's a good thought experiment, too, to just imagine, like, what will we be doing, you know, 5,000 years from now? Well, can you can you really imagine that we'll be doing some of these things, like... Uh, um, the kinds of experiments we did on chimps in the 50s, right? We're already doing less and less of those. And so it would be weird to imagine that we'd somehow bring those back. That So like it seems like moral progress to not be doing that. Well, TNG uh, certainly isn't rational thick, like you said. They they didn't use their teleporters when they could have, but but it's still utopic and nice. Which one was Will Wheaton in? That was TNG. Mm-hmm. TNG been, is short for Trek Next Generation for the hardcore fans. I've been watching a lot of uh, tabletop games, which is a YouTube show that Will Wheaton hosts, and it's a lot of fun. Excellent. And and therefore TNG must be the best Star Trek. Which, really... which one which one has uh Patrick Stewart? That is also TNG. Oh, then yeah, that's the best one. Yeah, TNG <laughs> is the best one. Like just objectively. Anyone who thinks otherwise is wrong. And the hate mail no comes comments. flowing in. I actually don't think I will get very much hate mail at all. Oh, challenge accepted. Yeah. You heard that. I've been trying to compare the different um at least two of the different seasons, the original series and TNG. Mm-hmm. I've been watching them one you know switching off each episode uh-huh. tng is really not that good so far are you in season two yet nope okay season one is no known to be bad <laughs> it has its moments that are good but uh it really doesn't hit its stride until season two okay good to know yeah which is not a thing series can do anymore nowadays you consider have to be yourself, good at season one or you get canceled consider yourselves forewarned yes so i did want to jump back to um talking about this in the context of gender issues about the, the idea of concept networks there are people who choose not to identify with gendered uh, pronouns, which I'm sure most people are aware of, that there are people out there that do that. And that seems to me like a step to draw attention to this this um, disparate and pointless label attachment, right? Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, he doesn't jump on board with like the atheist train or anything. He says the only kind of ist I am is a scientist because he doesn't, he specifically doesn't like the labels that carry, because everything carries more baggage. And I think it's for that, for, for similar reasons that people would say, you know what, if, if there's 40 nodes that come along with the label boy or the label man, and I'm maybe hitting on 15 of them, I don't really want to have all the extra baggage come along with it. So I'm going to not, I'm going to try and encourage people that know me to not use those, those pronouns with me. So I think, I mean, Katrina knows more about this than I do, but I, it's, it was something that I didn't even know about until like two years ago. So I have had the for me it's fun like coming across something that i haven't i'm not familiar with being confused and then realizing stuff and then updating i some people find that painful i find it exhilarating um that was my jumping off point did you have anything you wanted to add to that no we've we've discussed this 
a number of times because for a while I was trying not to use gender pronouns for myself. It turns out it's difficult because I live in a gendered world. Yeah. People see me as a woman and um, it's hard enough to get people not to refer to you as a girl. Oh. So I respect the hell out of people who use the neutral pronouns and I try really hard to do it, but it is it is a hard shift for my brain to make. And so I try to, when I'm around people like that, I try to just use their names a lot. Same. Yeah, because it's, it's I'll find myself slipping. And like, I'm, I admire them for doing that, but I feel bad when I get it wrong. I do too. And maybe that maybe that's part of the point. That, that, that I think that they're trying, they're not trying to like hurt your feelings, but I think the whole point is to draw attention to this problem. Right. And, or to, to for what them is a problem, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't really mind the label for myself. I could see the the benefit if there were more words I might not identify with the same pronouns as other men. But since we only have the two, this is the one that I more closely identify with. And picking a third, I think kind of like Katrina said, there's there's a lot of of work involved, and I just I'm way too lazy to put in the work. And I think that there would be like not it's not just laziness. There's also like it's worthwhile though. Well, I think the conversation with my parents and like they're not bigots, but like getting my people that aren't on the same. Uh, wavelength as we are to get on board with that and like not make a deal out of it i got i got not flack but it was brought up every year for all the years that i was a vegetarian i like thanksgiving with my extended oh. family and oh. they weren't they weren't being dicks they were just like you still a vegetarian nudge nudge and i'm like <laughs> that's yeah. kind of being a dick yeah but like it wasn't like oh this fucking you know leaf oh. eater so like they, they i mean they could have been rude they were just they could have been mean but they were just rude okay well, you were experiencing what it's like to have some sort of minority label oh yeah attached to you and um I, everybody everybody in our culture has been enculturated with you know, male and female pronouns for everything. It's super, super common and it's difficult for everybody, including people who are agendered, to make those transitions. But because it's but it's worthwhile to do, right? I can say it would be super hard for you because you do like have a lot of the female gendered things that like just trigger, right? Like generally I've the the couple people I know that do this have some markers that you can tell pretty quickly right on it's uh the um they're pr- that's probably pretty useful for them exactly that they look androgynous or or agendered yeah there there's there's something done where when you look at them there's a visual reminder oh hey you know don't use the standard pronouns so i don't know i don't know what you could do maybe get some facial scarring no i a bad idea. don't want to have to do that <laughs> yeah i was gonna make an inappropriate joke like well they could all just wear armbands with a symbol on oh them. Yeah. that's not like where you're going when you're talking about tattooing their faces <laughs> I don't, well. i'm anyway that was obviously uh a, an inappropriate joke you're um, right though how is it on, how on is it that the you know no, no, but you, you, that's weird that i had more of an emotional reaction to your armbands thing just because of the nazi thing as opposed to my face tattooing <laughs> which is the objectively more traumatic and significant thing i think yeah i think, I think that, there that was everybody difference. else should get face tattoos yeah. to think... show that they associate with gender and then people who don't shouldn't have to have face tattoos that could work like everyone should be forced to wear some kind of ornamental thing at any rate. No, that or... was a joke. Oh, I definitely don't think that that should happen. I oh. think that people should 
just my the, bad. The, the, I've read a lot of sci-fi books. The, <laughs> the other distinction was that yours was voluntary, and mine had the connotation of being involuntary. Oh, that's true. And I, I did mean it voluntarily as well, but historically it wasn't. So. Yeah, yeah. I Katrina, what is? I think that they is the preferred gender-neutral pronoun because it's already English, and singular they is something that you can use in conversation um, when talking about like an unknown person. Like, so for example, on my way here, there was a downed car, and they just stopped in the in the left lane. I don't know who who they were, and that that's a perfectly valid English sentence. And I think, I'm not sure, is it still around? There was like a push for a while for like Z and Zay, mm-hmm. uh, like with an X or a Z. That, that has a little bit of a different connotation to it, potentially. So they is, is pretty neutral, whereas Z, please feel free to correct me, might include people who are androgynous or gender fluid. So it's a new pronoun rather than like an existent neutral one potentially okay i might be misremembering this but i've always gone for they because it's pre-existing i recently started playing a uh, korean dating sim game which <laughs> I, wow I, yeah right uh but you know it's it's not in korean it's been translated to english i don't speak korean but it's an interesting uh thing in the translation when they refer to uh see there it is again they uh when they refer to people who are of an unknown gender and it's just one of them they translated it as it which when it when i saw that i was like it it stuck out to me because first of all like wow way to thing somebody that's not a person and then i was like huh why don't we use it because it has baggage it does have baggage. It has it has a bunch of nodes that you do not apply it to a human being, except apparently it used to be applied to children. Really? Yeah, in our history. In our history? Yes, or our like history. in the last in the last the history twenty of... thirty years. No. Oh, in human history. Um, in our Western. I could see that children Western are barely history. human anyway. No. There, there was a book that came out some years ago. Yeah, but they're less children are automatically less gendered because they haven't gone through puberty. Hmm. So the, the reason Is I asked for clarification... the origin of it was? No, I don't think so. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk. Oh, no, you're totally fine. The reason I asked for clarification was because I know that there was a book that was around, I don't know, 15 years ago that was, I think it was pushed on Oprah. It was a child called It. And it was, that was apparently like a bad thing. So I was like, this can't have been around 15 years ago. And I just wasn't aware of it. And there was some traumatic thing from this person's If you childhood. read really old news, when they refer to things that happen to children, they refer to the children is it that's really interesting so little little abigail so and so and then the rest of the pronoun for for that child is it huh so i wonder when that switch happened there's an interesting we can look into it yeah there's an interesting thing there so like i think i maybe i doubt that was the purpose but maybe they're trying not to gender the children i i'm so i'm somehow doubting that they were that forward thinking but that would be well maybe they didn't simply didn't think that children were people gendered oh that too <laughs> uh, yes people maybe not gendered i mean it was maybe common they would for... think that we're gross nowadays right it was Why common are you sexualizing your kids? yeah it's weird um it was common to dress kids in very simple white gowns whether they were boys or girls okay so i'm i can picture the period in history you're talking about because my let's see my dad's dad or my dad's grandpa we have a picture of him somewhere in their house of him as a baby yeah that was common for a while yeah in a white dress gown thing so that would have been that would be around the period where they're calling them it in newspapers maybe a little early well yeah actually that's interesting maybe around there i always think of uh montgomery burns from the simpsons skipping around in the dress with a lollipop i always think of mr burns (laughs) (laughs) just all the time do you want to switch over into um listener feedback okay were there any pieces that you wanted to correct if i misstepped on anything talking about gender labels or something or because you know a lot about I'm sure, that. I'm sure that some of you are very offended by some of the things that we've said, and feel free to tell us about it, and we will apologize. And read your comment on the air. 
And feel free to tell maybe. us. Maybe. Yeah. Feel free to tell us nicely. Like I, I, if I, if I misstepped, I am making an effort. So I, I think it's, I think it's admirable. It was something that I wasn't familiar with. Yeah. It's common. Um, I will say one thing that kind of pricked my ears. It's common to complain about how difficult it is to remember to call people the pronouns that they prefer, and um, I know that some people are pretty sick of that because it's difficult to, you know, identify with different pronouns. Yeah. But, um, but the truth is, it is difficult. I'm sure, it's, I'm sure all it's of those way things more, are tough. I'm sure it's way more difficult to identify as a gender neutral pro- pronoun, and it's way more uncomfortable <laughs> for like for <laughs> excuse me with a gender with a gender neutral pronoun it. Yeah. Uh, than it is for like me to slip up. Um, I think that that's that you were just talking about your own experience. You weren't obviously talking about theirs. And it'll but, get easier with time and with practice. Yeah. All uh, right. Well, that was fun. We were talking I, about. I, I never got around to the whole uh, the cool um, Google uses. There's plenty of time. Okay. Yeah, uh, I talked for a lot. That talk about like your talk about out. your Google stuff. Well, no. It, it, okay, so um, it's kind of interesting. The the one of the ways one of the things I got into with this was uh, Google has been doing a lot with uh, it's Google Translate lately, where it's been using uh, deep learning networks, which work kind of like this. Uh, well, like concept networks. Yes, exactly. Uh, which um, not exactly at all, but the concept is similar. <laughs> it's it's much more technical and and difficult. Uh, but the thing that really blew my mind was one of these networks, they were uh, using a deep learning network and training it to recognize objects. It, it was a visual network. So they just fed it several million still frames from YouTube. It just does its thing, runs its learning on it. And they found that it had fixated on a certain, um, not image, but a, a certain grouping of features that is a cat. And I thought that was the coolest thing because no one in the process of this training ever pointed to a cat and said, this is cat, recognize cat. Is just after seeing millions of frames, the network picked up, hey, there's this thing that appears a whole lot and it kind of looks sort of like this. And when a human looks at it, it's like, oh, that's a cat. The, the network has discovered what a cat looks like. Which you know, also says about how many how many cat videos there are on YouTube, and how apparently universally liked cats are. Yeah, yeah. But it was really cool that <laughs> just by aiming a a learning network at YouTube, it could discover what a cat looks like on its own. And I was obviously joking about cat loving being a common feature across mind design space, <laughs> but uh... but even machines love cats. <laughs> That yeah, is, that, that's a really interesting thing. We should definitely link to that article. Yeah. The the other thing that this uh, visual recognition program picked up, uh, saw a lot in its environments, was these bizarre sort of animal things that uh, were described in the article as looking sort of like half Ottomans, half goats. And it got me thinking, what are these half Ottoman and half goat creatures that we cannot see but are observing us at all times? It is it is a little creepy. What are you they talking They would pick about? that up in just background images that didn't have any animals in them? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they would just, they, they, there was, it was a thing that they also recognized uh, very often like cats. And we don't see anything like that. And it's, I realize it's not actually a thing that exists, but... Every now and then, it would make like a very good horror premise that there are these things in our environment which we cannot see for some reason, but the computer's picking up on it. Ah, the mind of a horror writer. Well, I'm not a horror writer, but... Yet. (laughs) Growth mindset. Your last one was kind of scary. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Shall we move on to listener feedback? Let's do that. Let's do it. We got a a write-in, which reminds me, if you're okay with us using your name or if you have a preferred pronoun, go ahead and put that in an email. Our general rule of thumb is we don't read the names of people who write in stuff since it's private, but we'll read Reddit handles and email or uh, comment names. Anyway, so we did have a an email write-in 
And they said that they enjoyed the show. Thank you very much. But their biggest complaint was that uh, the sound quality varied wildly, and especially my voice. And a lot of that is stuff that uh, would take wizardry post-production to fix. I talk fast. I talk low. I tend not to look at where I'm talking, so I'm often not facing the microphone. Uh, Hopefully this episode you noticed a big jump in our sound quality. We're working with a new sound tech, or with a sound tech, that's not one of us, and uh, some of our older, better equipment that has more flexibility. So let us know if this episode sounds better than the others, and we'll keep doing more of what we're doing. So I have uh, these, we've skipped a few weeks of listening, listener feedback, so this goes back for a fair bit. But Westward 101 wrote on the children episode that I, we, Stephen and me talked a fair bit about how we don't like the idea of having our values changed by having this child pop up and all of a sudden we are emotionally invested in it and we are different people. And Westward 101 says... Obviously, women are subject to major hormonal shifts in the course of pregnancy and birth that men are not. And he they're not saying that men don't undergo changes in value, but it's not as dramatic as puberty. That plenty of people have their value shift significantly during their lifetime, not just due to four hormones, and that fear of value shifting seems really weird. Like, at the same time, he says he's not going to shoot heroin, even if he knew that once he was a junkie, he wouldn't care about being a junkie and would just be happy. So he does sort of understand the value shift thing, but on the other hand, plenty of people have children and it doesn't seem to turn them into radically different doppelganger pod people, which I think is a fair point, yeah. I mean, my thinking on that is, I guess pre-puberty, I wasn't, you know, sentient enough to know that I really liked my current utility function. And looking back, I prefer the one I have now. And it's completely plausible that I could update into a better version of myself that looking back at me now, I would just, I'd be like, man, why was he content? But I don't know. You don't know that going in, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're just throwing dice, you don't, uh, I think I talked about this in the episode. I thought I, I guess I see where they're coming from, but I thought I might, my case, that doesn't really come back to the, the case that I made that like, you know, if I currently find something very, you know, like if I was working at an EA charity or something, if I was doing something really important and then all of a sudden the most important thing I could think of to do with my life was push my child on the swing. Well, I, w- I would, I would feel like I lost something if I knew before that's where I was going to be. Yeah. I think it may affect different people differently. Like I've talked to some parents who said, yes, it is a radical life change and you cannot even explain it to people who don't have children. It's just a thing you have to experience. And then I've talked to some other parents who were like, eh, didn't really change me that much. Basically the same kind of person I was before. So maybe varies on the person. You're in a relationship with a parent right now, Inyash. What about that person? I would have to ask her. Okay. I should have thought to do that. Come to think of it, I know a lot of parents in my life. I should and just very, go and And you're ask very them. close to them. Yeah. Uh. So they seem to be pretty good people, even though they've popped out some babies. I didn't know any of them before they had the babies, though. And I certainly, I don't want to disparage parents. I think that there's a, there's a great thing to loving your children, obviously, for, for all kinds of, I mean, like obvious evolutionary reasons, but also like personal reasons. Like it feels really good. Mm. And like, you don't feel like you're wasting your time pushing your kid on the swing or putting a puzzle together with them or something. You find it extremely valuable. And I think that it, it's it's a different kind of valuable than like other values that you might have, right? But it's it, that doesn't make it less important to you, right? Yeah. Westward did have a follow-up question since you brought up the puberty thing specifically if you could go back in time and stop yourself from undergoing puberty would you and i think you already said no but you like the person you are now better yeah i can't make that comparison very fairly because like i said pre-teenager steven was i think barely sentient Mm. um i think i mean i i was like i was aware i had thoughts and feelings Eh, more of an it than i am now (laughs) but i don't i wouldn't want to go back to pre-puberty i think a lot of that is that you don't remember who you were then you don't remember your feelings. You don't remember your thoughts. You don't remember how you mold over things. That's true. But I also just have distinct memories of like not really mulling things the way that I do now. 
Like I was just genuinely less thoughtful. I, I, I was more acting than I was thinking. Maybe that's not everyone's childhood. And my, my memories are very hazy, but... No, you know, it's really interesting. I have had that exact same thing happening in reverse over the past few years. It's weird. I used to be much more of a person who would just sit and read and think about philosophy and stuff. And over the past few years, I've done a lot more of like making things in the world. Like I bought the house that was a wreck and renovated it. And that felt good. And I'm working on a novel now. And I've got the, the Methods of Rationality podcast. And the more I make those sorts of things, the more I find myself more interested in making things and less interested in like talking about stuff, which it feels really weird. I just came to that realization a few weeks ago that I am not nearly as much the same kind of person who would just get off talking about crazy ideas for hours that I used to be. And I still like doing that. I mean, I go to the less wrong meetups. I, I'm on this podcast for those reasons, but not nearly as much as I used to. Things are, have changed and it's weird. I think that's a third thing. You're not more like my childhood self. You're more like a different person. Yeah. Because childhood Stephen just like ran around, got candy and played outside. Like there wasn't, <laughs> okay. it was a lot like what I imagine it's like being a dog. You know, like you're just you're just you're responding to things in the world. You're you're not but you're not sitting there weighing consequences. Right. I suspect that you're not being fair to childhood, Stephen. That's my suspicion. That said, though, I do know that childhood Stephen would be OK with this with this assessment. I think I was a very weird kid in that. Like, I remember I had some habits and I would be like, you know, somewhere between 10 and 13 years old. I'd say, you know what? I know I'm not going to be doing this in 10 years, but I'm OK doing it now. Like, I know this is just something that I'm doing and it'll it'll wear off. I was I was. I just knew that future Steven would be different, and I was okay with that already. Huh. See, I never, I always thought that I would be the same forever. I will love video games for my entire life, and, and you know, that changed eventually, and I never thought it would. Maybe I do still share a lot of core values. I do still like candy. I do still like video games, so. It is interesting, though. When I was, I think when I was 12, I calculated what my age would be in the year 2000, and I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be 19 years old then. I'm not going to be old enough to really party and enjoy it, because I'm going to be a responsible adult. That's hilarious. Yeah. So oh, wait, guess, so were you saying you're too old to be party and enjoy yes. it or too young? No, I would be too old because at 19, I mean, when you're, when you haven't hit puberty yet, anyone who's gone past puberty is like an adult, right? And so my, the, my model for adults was my parents. So I was like, oh, I'll be responsible then. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Probably be married. Yeah, exactly. Definitely oh, have a house. Oh, snap. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I got um, engaged to my first wife at 19, so. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, sorry. No, no, that. it's cool. I was stupid. <laughs> I've been stupid most of my life. In your defense, you overcame a lot. I, I think I think the Jehovah's Witness upbringing really started you out in a hole, right? I it's possible. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate on yourself on your younger self too much. No, I, I, my younger self was okay. I think it's sort of an unfair question to ask. Would you want to go through puberty knowing what you know? Because you, you can't ask the person who's alive. Would you rather that the dead person be alive instead? It's like no, I'd rather be alive. So no, obviously I'd rather be me than than the kid. But I'm not sure if the kid would have the same answer. I had one here. This was in our The Bayesian Conspiracy email. So, without the value judgment on the aggregate, you might not be maximizing happiness or minimizing suffering. Take the self-flagellator or the house elf. He has a desire to serve, and if he fails, he punishes himself. At the point before the self-inflicted pain, there is, one, a natural desire to not feel pain, and two, a culturally, a culturally imposed desire to feel pain. Obviously, if the result is to whip himself, then the balance of desires is fulfilled and desirism is satisfied. 
It's fine leaving the self-flagellator at one degree above breaking even on the scale from suffering to thriving. A more moral action might be to intervene, even against the self-flagellator's will, to modify the culture to remove the desire to cause self-harm. The only motivation in desirism to fix the situation is some vague notion of having a desire to create a world where other people don't feel bad for failing to serve something they care about, or maybe a desire to not have your mirror neurons fire whenever you witness a house elf fail in his duties. Pretty weak? Question mark? So, I think... Part of what I liked about that was that it got to the point that I was trying to make that I didn't feel like was answered very satisfactorily in the episode. He kept insisting that it wasn't, excuse me, Alonzo kept insisting that it wasn't about maximizing satisfied desires. It was it was the desire itself, which I get is a shift from like consequentialist thinking. But it's hard to see, like, he also said that it would be that you you shouldn't let, you know, someone sit there and beat themselves for, for failing or whatever, right? Because they were having a bad desire. Or I think he did. He said something along those lines. And this was sort of a reply to that, that sort of built on the fact like, yeah, but then you're, you're then the only solution is to build a better world that doesn't involve desires yeah that seems to be consequentialist thinking in my opinion it's always been a flavor of consequentialism but you know as they say a consequentialist sees consequentialism everywhere so yes the answer would be that uh he is maximizing his desires when he does that but the desire it's uh, desires themselves can be evaluated based on how they interact with other desires whether they tend to fulfill other desires or thwart other desires and a desire to beat yourself if you didn't clean your house well enough is one that tends to thwart other desires because it leads to, uh, you know, bodily harm, the time wasted beating yourself, the 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 desire to not be in physical pain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. It, it, it thwarts those desires, and so uh, the answer would be yes. Create a society where that desire to beat yourself is not instilled in people because it is definitely a subpar desire based on how many other desires it thwarts. Okay, so that's the scale by which you you assess whether or not desires are good or bad desires. Yeah, and how well they mesh with other desires. Okay, I can dig that. There was a remaining question on that that write-in about, we, you used the word thought crime, and I think in a context that was different than is typically used. Like 1984 thought crime versus the way that you were using in that episode. Right, I, I, I mean, I used it a little bit different, but the fact that all crime really boils down to what was going through the person's head when they committed the crime is, I think, a very interesting point and kind of makes thought crime not an open as open and shut a case as people would think. Like, you're allowed to think anything, but when we punish someone for doing something, we're punishing them for what they were thinking when they did it. But we're also punishing them for actually doing it. Yes, you so, have to do the thing, too. You can't just think it. I think that was something that wasn't explicitly said. Right, and yeah. in the 1984 case, they were punishing people for just thinking things without doing anything. Right, so there's a difference between thinking treasonous thoughts and yeah. doing treasonous things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. Although, if you're really insecure in your power, you probably want to beat up anyone who's even thinking treasonous things. Right. Yeah, that, well, is, that is a bad desire, though. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I got one more, which um, I'm not sure if this is cheating, because this was not posted on the subreddit or anywhere else. <laughs> Uh, I just thought it was neat and relevant. A certain person that we all know uh, posted on Facebook about created white sapphires. <laughs> yeah, this actually has zero things to do with our... This is not listener feedback. It, but it has, This is it touches something on, that you saw on Facebook. Yeah, but it touches on signaling. And did yes, we want go to mention for it. That? Yeah, of course. Okay. There's also you linked to that great thing on the subreddit that someone made a comment on some other thread about signaling. Oh, yes. And so that's that's on the subreddit for that episode. There was a great link to another Reddit comment about uh, signaling for in the context of Christmas gifts. We can skim through it, but it, it's worth reading in its entirety. The thing about the creative white sapphires is really neat because 
they there's a lot of created gems nowadays which are just absolutely fantastic lab grown gems right but they're they're gems that are not dug out of the ground they're made in a lab and they are they're generally flawless and they can be made much cheaper in some cases and white sapphires are one of the ones that can be made very cheap you can get a carrot or two for less than a hundred dollars and the white ones look very much like diamonds like unless you're an appraiser you're not going to be able to see the difference and it was brought up that this is a very useful hack to use one of these instead of a diamond and save yourself literally thousands of dollars and my comment was like yes but that depends like who you're signaling to if you're if you're getting the diamond because you want to signal to strangers hey look i can afford fancy diamonds then it's an awesome hack and you should totally use it but on the other hand if you're trying to signal to uh if you're like an old first old-fashioned person and you're trying to signal to the person you love i love you enough to burn five thousand dollars on a rock that is otherwise worthless then you have just defeated the point of that signal. That's right. You're like, I love you enough to burn $60. <laughs> or if you're trying to signal to your in-laws yeah. and you're not interested in bald-faced lying, right. then um, spending 60 bucks might be might be difficult, depending on who your in-laws are. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of signaling is that it is costly. And if, if you're faking it and you, <laughs> you, you may have to lie to people. I've experienced somebody feeling pressured to buy expensive jewelry because their their future in-laws would judge them otherwise as not being able to provide for their new spouse. Yeah. Damn. That would be a rough situation to be in. Huh? I I would hope that I mean, I don't I'm not an advocate of lying, but I might just say I don't want to tell you how much it cost. But um <laughs> I think It's the classy route. Yeah. yeah. There was a we mentioned Neil deGrasse Tyson earlier. There was like a Nova special that he was on where he went and visited one of these places where they make diamonds. Different than the than the white sapphires, mm-hmm. but they actually just l- lay down layers of diamond and uh, make a little lattice of, of fake soluble diamonds. And there are people, whenever he talks about it, or maybe on the show even, that there are people who say, you know, I or my wife would really still want real diamonds. And he's like, these are these are real diamonds. I mean, like old fashioned, like earth rock diamonds. These are atomically identical. Yeah, but there's it's different. Like so, people have that other weird attachment to it and these these it's ones are almost like they have a hanging node yeah exactly so it, it ties in and these the fake diamonds aren't all that less expensive either so like there's still yeah. a costly signal in that in that context but people have this exactly is it really a diamond yeah so yeah good stuff as far as that the the other signaling comment it was on uh the rational subreddit when it was on the thread share your optim or excuse me share your most optimized winter holiday gifts and it's a very long comment but the too long didn't read is Giving each other equal amounts of money slash requested items is missing the point of gifts, and you should just agree to not give gifts. Giving unequal amounts of money slash requested items is better, assuming the person who receives is more in excuse me is in more material need. People are iffy about receiving material support, and special occasions are a good workaround. So you know, if if you know somebody's hard up, you know you can give them cash on Christmas or something. Was there a rule against giving charity dollars nope. in that particular thread? Uh, in this thread, I didn't read the whole thread because the- I um. One of the best gifts that I got this Christmas was a certain amount of money and to choose to give to charity, yeah. whatever charities I wanted. I, a lot of people, when they give gifts, it in my less charitable, charitable moments, I think that a lot of people, when they give gifts, want the gift receiver to see the gift every now and then and remember the gift giver. And think like, aw, I, I, I remember this person. He gave me this. What a nice person. I value our friendship. And the problem with giving money uh, to a charity as the gift is that uh, you don't ever see it again once it's given. And so people are like, at least 
in my opinion. People are like, well, I don't want to give charity money because the gift receiver won't ever see that and think of me. So the, I have only once, no, I, twice in my life, but it was from the same person, just two different years. Only twice have I ever gotten money donated to a charity as a gift, even though that's all I ask for generally from anyone. And <laughs> the one time it happened, I wrote a special handwritten thank you note, which is the only time I've ever done that, because it's the only time someone's done that to me. And I think the joke is on everybody else. Because I do not remember 98% of the crap that I get, which goes in the trunk and then gets thrown out after a few months. And I still remember to this day that someone gave 50 bucks in my name when I asked. Or if they give you a piece of crap to put in your house and look at, you can just look at it and remember how that person gave you a worthless piece of crap. Instead of charity money. That is just taking up space. Yeah. I think I think the charitable version of the gift giver's intention isn't so much that they want you know you to be constantly thinking of them it's mm -hmm. that they they genuinely enjoy the feeling of giving you something yeah and so like i think i tried to talk my parents into not giving me stuff but to give it to charity and they they literally laughed it off mm -hmm. for christmas this year because I, I i wasn't going to be able to give them stuff and so and plus they're like who shops for their parents you're they're impossible to shop for yeah so I, oh man i should just give them cash next year that'd be just hilarious Anyway, so I th and and I asked. I was like, you know, why? This is actually what I want. And my mom was like, no, it's really. I just like giving you stuff, well, and uh, it makes me feel good. And I and I that's that's you know, this works out for both of us if we're both happy. Uh -huh. You know, so you get something that that I think you need, and I get to feel good about giving it to you. Well, yeah. bless her. My yeah. mom also really likes to give things, and my dad. My dad kind of gets where I'm coming from. Cool. So. Indeed. Good dad. Good dad gives charity. I got this pair of jeans. Oh, oh nice. sweet. Yeah. I was noticing them. Oh, see? Perfect. I should be happy to hear that. <laughs> in the in the thread that you were just talking about that we're going to link, uh, the gifting a signaling thread, uh, one of the major themes that is brought up is that signals are supposed to be costly and hard to fake. And one of the guys kept saying it's so inefficient to give people gifts because you're just you're giving them things they don't really need or want. And it would be more efficient just to give them money so they can get what they want. And the reply was like, yes, signaling is it, it's supposed to be hard to give someone a decent gift. That's what makes it a good signal. If you have actually know someone well enough to know, oh, this is a thing they will like and pick it out and give it to them. That takes a lot of effort. It takes knowing that person very well. It's extremely hard to fake that. And so it is a very good signal that you actually do know someone well and care about them was was the counter reply to that. Yeah. And I think that person's pretty spot on with why people. So like there's this trend of like I think people are more happy to give gift cards than cash, mm -hmm. which to me, gift cards are Living. everything. Uh huh. They're limited. Yeah, they're everything that is good about cash, but, or excuse me, they have, they're uh, basically ca cash, cash is, except limited. Cash is better in every single way. Yes. Ca cash is what gift cards are, but better. Yeah. Like, I have two gift cards on my desk that each have less than a dollar balance on them, mm -hmm. and I have no idea how to spend it. All right. I think I could go to Amazon and get myself, like, you know, $1.78 credit or something, yeah. but even that sounds like a lot of work to do for under two bucks. And, like, the best gift card is just, like, a Visa one, right? Where you can spend $50 anywhere on anything, it doesn't matter. But then why didn't you just get cash? And and then you have that, you know, the $1.50 left over problem. Yeah. Oh, well. Holidays are now over. We can all just hold our breath until next year with... Why are gift cards viewed as better than cash? Is it just because it has the word gift in it? I think it's partly because, like, especially if it's to a place, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know what video games you want, but I know you like go to GameStop. Okay. So, okay. like, I know you like video games, but I don't even know what console you have. So, so like, you're that, that... you know a little bit about the place. Exactly. Okay. As far as, like, a Visa gift card, I think that's just because for some reason cash is seen as tacky. Yeah. And I, I do consider, like, the Visa one slightly tackier than, like, a GameStop gift card. But I consider them way more useful. Yeah, exactly. So I guess tackiness and usefulness aren't mutual, or are uh, not necessarily related. Right. So...
yeah, I don't know what to say to that other than... I give cash. Yeah, yeah. cash is the way to go. I give cash and I am super classy. I might be <laughs> the classiest person in this room. That's right. Probably. Wow. No, I, I actually, I don't know. Maybe someday it'll come up, but I do consider you to be like a class above mine. It's, it's super classy to talk about how classy you are. Oh, that's right. See, I'm, I'm trying to drag you down to my level. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so are you, you still... You have to drive me so, I'm doing it on my own. So you were the classiest person in the room before you said you were the classiest person in the room. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. It's so, okay to joke about it when the plebs are around. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> we're just giving you shit. There was last thing... Oh, I, I was actually thinking about the gift card versus cash thing just as a random... I'm not a conspiracy theory-oriented person, but I'm wondering if there was some deliberate ploy. Because if I give you 20 bucks for Christmas, Uncle Sam doesn't get a cut of the... Of the taxes on gifts, the the businesses nearby don't get the revenue. You could put that cash in a savings account where no one gets to benefit from it except for one bank. I mean, so it like, is deliberate because a lot of people don't use their gift cards and therefore the companies get that money. Ooh, and so they also, if people do use it, they come in and they spend more than the, is on the gift card in order to use the entire balance. Yeah, you kind of have to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, damn. So it, it definitely benefits companies to put out beautiful gift cards. That'll be my new steadfast rule for next Christmas. No gift cards. It's a good, probably a good rule. Yeah. Yeah, fuck the man. Uh, there, there's some cultures where... Uh, well, the, insert, or the, the companies. The companies are the man okay. in capital V, capital M. Yeah. The um, No, there's some cultures, it's interesting, where there are certain situations where it's considered rude not to give gifts, not to give cash. Uh, they're, they're, um, I think, but I think in China, when you get married, there's like a special red envelope with a special seal and you should, you're supposed to put cash in it and give that to the, uh, the newly married couple. But anyways, uh, if you were to try to give a present that is not cash, it would be considered gauche. Be like, this is a newly starting out couple. They need cash to buy things. Screw you and your stupid wedging registry stuff. Hmm. But I mean, there's, there's like nightmare. a special envelope and everything yeah. to go with it. Well, the nice thing about a wedding registry is you don't have to go to the store. Wait, you already do to pick out stuff. Never mind. I take it back. Or you can do it on the, the store's website. The nice website. thing about a wish list, there, he'll yeah, say that, yeah, yeah. is you can, you can send that to people and they can go out and do the hard work of driving to the store and buying the thing for you. Or just clicking on the wish list on Amazon and having it shipped to your door. Yes, or that. <laughs> That's a much better way to do things. I'm just not a huge fan of the holiday. Like I love the I love the family stuff. I hate the gift part. I get like why people like it, but it, it stresses me out. So I'm really glad it's over. Hmm. That's just my last two cents on it. I... All right. Well, shall we shall we say goodbye? <laughs> We're nearing the end of our time. That yes. sounds good. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can contact us at Bayesian Conspiracy Podcast at gmail.com. Write comments at our subreddit, r slash the Bayesian Conspiracy. And um, come visit our website for more information. That is thebayesianconspiracy.com. And it'll have a link to our brand new Patreon. Yep. yep. And if you haven't yet and you are so inclined, don't hesitate to leave a review at iTunes. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.